But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Sometimes the best way to deal with a portion of scripture is to use the reporters or journalists' questions in getting to the crux of the story, to, to simply tell us what it's about. And so this morning I want us to employ that who, what, where, when, and how as we contemplate these two verses in the book of Galatians chapter 4. Here in our text, the Apostle Paul does just that. And so I want us, in, in using these very questions this morning to ask and to seek to answer when it was that Jesus Christ came to earth, who he was that came to earth, how it is that Jesus Christ came to earth, and lastly, why it was that Jesus came to earth. When, who, how, and why. I want you to first of all notice with me that when it was that the Savior came into the world. The Holy Spirit records for it for us, and Paul is very specific, when the fullness of the time was come. The construction of the Greek using the word chronos refers to time as conceived as a succession of moments. Paul referring to the lapse of time, that when the exact moment came which completed the period that had been designated by God in eternity past, when that time was lapsed, before the coming of the Son of God in His incarnation, or taking on flesh, then and only then would He send forth His Son. Kenneth Weiss writes, This point of time marks some outstanding events in the history of the human race. It was the moment which God had ordained for the Messiah's coming. To Daniel was given the date of his coming, 483 years after the edict of the Medo-Persian government to rebuild Jerusalem. The Mosaic Law had done its educational work, showing to the world that the most highly favored nation on earth, the Jewish nation, was, despite of all of God's blessings and mercy, was totally depraved, giving the Gentile portion of the race a picture of its own totally depraved heart. The Mosaic Law in its three sections, the Ten Commandments, the laws concerning the social relationships, the Levitical system of sacrifices, was done away with as a legal system to be superseded by the gospel of grace, centered faith in the historic Savior. The Roman Empire maintained world peace. Roman roads made travel for missionaries easy. The universal use of the Greek language made the speedy propagation of the gospel possible. The earth stage was set, all set for the greatest event in the history of the human race, the incarnation, the sacrificial death, and the bodily resurrection of the Son of God. Warren Wiersbe says, Christ's birth at Bethlehem was not an accident. It was an appointment. Jesus came in the fullness of the time. And it is worth noting that he will come again in the time when God has set for his Son to return to earth. God does everything at the right time. I hope you will take note of that and put that in those, that reservoir of things that comfort your heart that God is always on time when it 
seems to us that he's late or not listening or not hearing or not working. He is always at work and he's always exactly on time. His plans are working to an ancient pattern set out by the eternal Godhead in eternity past, even when they seem very off to us and out of sync. Would you bow before him this morning and praise him that he is on time? When was it? Then that God sent his son, came to earth to take on a human body in the fullness of the time. Would you say that with me? In the fullness of the time. That's the when. Secondly, I want us to notice who is he that has come. The Bible tells us here in our text, God sent forth his son. Do you see how specific the wording is here? The Son of God, the second co-equal member of the Godhead, took on a body, became incarnate. He took on flesh. The eternal God, the eternal Son, stooped down in in time, a certain and specific time on the the calendar of man, and, and came physically to earth, invading the human race yet remaining all the while the sinless, eternal Son of God. Paul here carefully points out the dual nature of Jesus Christ. God sent forth His Son made of a woman. He is both God and man. In John sixteen twenty five, I came forth from the Father and am come in the, into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. As God, Jesus came forth. But as man, he was made of a woman. The ancient promise going all the way back to the first woman in the garden in Genesis 3.15 is that the Redeemer would be of the woman's seed. Jesus fulfills that promise. We We read this morning, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. What a miracle, and admittedly, what a mystery it is that God would desire to become man is infinite love, immeasurable love, and incomprehensible condescension. William Plummer writes, Christ's human nature never existed separately or otherwise than in union with His deity. From His conception, this union was complete. The pre-existent divine nature took to itself human nature. Christ's human nature never had a personal subsistence by itself so that Christ did not assume a human person but human nature. His person is not a compound person. The personality belongs to his Godhead and the human nature subsists in in it by a particular dispensation. The assuming of our nature, made no change in his person. It added nothing to it. And the only difference is that the same person who was possessed of divinity has now taken on humanity. So that things done or suffered in either nature are ascribed to one person, Jesus Christ. The properties of each nature are and will ever continue to be entire and distinct Deity cannot be subject to any change. Humanity cannot cease to be humanity. It cannot become deity as some of the cults teach. The creator cannot cease to be the creator. The creature cannot cease to be a creature. 
And by way of explanation, in a way, our own experience as humans is similar. We're made of two parts, if you will. A soul which cannot be seen and a body which is material that can be seen. One is spiritual and immortal in nature and one is physical and perishable. In our union of body and soul, one is not changed into the other. Our soul remains uniquely spiritual and our bodies remain uniquely physical. And even when united, and yet a man is not two people. We're one made up of a physical nature and a spiritual nature. If you say that man is happy, you're referring to his soul, the immaterial part of him. If you say he is tall and skinny, you're talking about his physical material part of him. You're talking about the same person though, aren't you? So it is with Christ. He is both God and man. God came to earth, fulfilling all prophecy, over 200 Old Testament predictions of His coming, fulfilling all legal requirements, never violating one iota of the law of God. He came in the fullness of the time, and at the exact moment on God's calendar, set in eternity by the eternal council of the Godhead, and it was God the Son who came, not an angel, not a spirit, and not a a mere human being. It was the eternal God who took on flesh. What a mystery. What a glorious, glorious mystery. That's when and that's who. But thirdly, we can only touch on the how. Well, and what a task it is for a preacher to describe how Jesus Christ took on flesh. I'll not attempt to do that apart from the scripture. Our text tells us he was made of a woman made under the law. We know from scripture that this had to be. Scripture declares him to be the seed of Abraham. The Bible declares him to be the seed of David. One of the most ancient prophecies concerning the Messiah was made by Job. An unlikely portion of scripture where Job says with all assurance in Job 19 verse 25 who declared that his redeemer at the latter day would stand upon the earth. Psalm 40 verse 6 in Hebrews 10 verse 5 quoting Psalms 40 says wherefore when he cometh into the world he saith sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not but a body thou hast prepared for me. Isaiah plainly tells us, behold, when you see that word, it is a fantastic, godly, miraculous thing that is about to take place. Some supremely divine issue that you need to consider. Behold, when we say that, we are to look and see. And in the scripture, always note the beholds. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The name Emmanuel means God with us. God had to come to us and be one of us to redeem us. Interestingly, outside of the reference that we read this morning in the scripture reading, he is never called in the New Testament Emmanuel, is he? We know that God sent him. God is with us. His name is Jehoshua. Jehovah saves Jesus because He will save His people, and we refer to Him as Jesus, the Savior. 
The scriptures would not have been fulfilled if Christ had not had a human nature. A human nature derived from his mother alone. Do you see how specific the Holy Spirit is in describing that to us? In a prophetic vision, and Daniel calls him in Daniel chapter 7 verse 13, the Son of Man, a, a title that you'll see throughout the gospel writings. Jesus, the Son of Man, noting his humanity. Jesus, God the Son, had a literal, physical, material body. And he got that body, as our text tells us, by being born of a woman. In Luke 24, verse 39, he tells his disciples after his resurrection, Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. Our Lord knew that erroneous teaching would come about. The Gnostics and others very soon would teach, well, yes, Jesus came, but he did not have a literal body. Jesus is clearing that out of the way when he tells his disciples, look, touch me, handle me. A mere spirit, an emanation from God, from heaven, does not have flesh and bones as you see me have. Christ had a soul in Mark 14.34. He said, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. In the Christmas record, our celebrations tell us that God became flesh. In Luke 2, verse 40, his soul and body are mentioned together. The child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Admittedly, the incarnation of God the Son is entirely beyond human comprehension. It is one of those great mysteries the Bible speaks of. I preached... Wednesday night on the text, that glorious text in 1 Timothy 3.16. Great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh. And though a mystery, it must be believed if one is to be saved. Make no mistake about it, there is no receiving Christ as Savior if He is not the virgin-born Son of God. The Apostle John makes it very clear, doesn't he, in his first epistle, 1 John 4, verse 12, Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. This is our gospel. God took on a body. God the Son came to earth through the, the birth, virgin birth of a virgin he came into this world. This, in the fullness of time, was come. God sent forth his son, made of woman. I want to tell you, it is the greatest event that ever took place. Great was the creation of the world. And someone has said the creation of the world was a very great thing, but not so great as the incarnation of Christ. It was a great thing for God to make a creature but not so great as for the creature, for the creator to become a creature. All else hinges on God coming to earth. The creation, as glorious and amazing as it is, is fraught with problems immediately, isn't it? Sin and death and murder and degradation and all the things that break the heart of man come very immediately after creation. 
God sent His Son into the world to undo all that the first Adam did. Aren't you glad that God sent a second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ? We've seen when Jesus came in the fullness of time. We've seen who He was that came, the Son of God. He's declared to be the Son of God. We've touched upon how Jesus came, and we can only touch upon it, this great mystery, made of a woman, made under the law. He fulfilled all the demands, the commands, the, the perfections of the law, all the prophecies of the Old Testament. He fulfilled every one of them. But lastly, I want us to consider this morning why Jesus came. Look at our verse. Verse 5, the first part, tells us to redeem them that were under the law, that we might be made sons, that we might be made adopted ones, that we might be receive the adoption of sons, is what the verse tells us. The word redeem is a very precious word. It's a very graphic one. In the Greek, it means to buy out of the slave market, to buy off the auction block, if you will. The word law here does not have a a definite article before it in the Greek so that both Jews and Gentiles are included here, not just the the Jews. Someone would say that if it's just Jews, only they can be saved. But it's very clear here that it's not just Jews that it's referring to. The Jews, of course, had been given the Mosaic law. And the Bible tells us clearly that the Gentiles have the law of God written in their hearts, we see in Romans chapter 2. The Lord Jesus was born, if you will, under the law, lived under the law. He was dedicated as an infant. He was circumcised the eighth day. He was brought to Passover. In every regard, the Old Testament law was satisfied and fulfilled in the life and the person and work of Jesus Christ. All the dictates of the law perfectly fulfilled every part of it, which we all have equally broken every part of it. For to offend in one point, James tells us, is to offend in all. We are sinners. We have broken the law of God. We are all debtors to God. We owe Him. We owe Him eternally a debt we could not pay. Yet not being able to pay the debt we owed, Jesus died under the penalty of the law that we broke. And in paying our debt... He satisfied both the legal requirement and our debt to the holiness of God. He has delivered us from any claims which the law has against us. That's something to say praise the Lord about, isn't it? He died under the law. And His resurrection, He was raised to a place where as a, a legalistic system does not exist. Aren't you glad in heaven there's no speeding uh, signs? You can't break a speeding law? There are no laws against it there. There's no need for it. Christ has been resurrected to a place where there's no law. The law has been completely satisfied in the the person and work of Jesus Christ so that we'll be able to perfectly in that place and in that time obey the holiness of God. He has delivered us from any claims that the law has against us. He died under the law and and he raised gloriously to a place where that law is now does not exist. This he did in order that he might not only deliver us from the law, but also raise believers with himself to a place where the law does not operate. Instead of therefore being children or literally immature ones in the Greek, under the law we become the adult sons of God under grace. 
Do you know that a young person who dies in, in Christ is just as saved in heaven as someone who lived for 99 years? We, when we're saved, we've been received as adult sons with all the rights and privileges of a fully grown, mature son. We receive the adoption of sons. This expression is in the Greek is literally in order that we might receive the adult son placing. Now, a child, though they may be born to parents, does, cannot operate legally. He has to have someone operate for them. If you were to die, your children would have to have, the, the, before they reach the age of majority, they, they don't have all the privileges of a, of a fully grown son. But the Bible tells us that we might be placed as adult sons. We've been given to us here the status of a person saved by grace, having the position and all the privileges of a fully mature, full-grown adult saved son at whatever age you are when you were saved. What a miraculous, what a wonderful thing that is. At the time of Paul's writing, there were some 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. It was a regular thing to see an auction block in any Roman city. If you had the money, you could buy a slave. A man could buy a slave in any Roman city either to keep the slave for himself or to unbelievably set him free. Jesus Christ came to earth for one purpose, to pay the debt of our enslavement and to set us free. The entire triune Godhead is involved here in our salvation. God the Son sent His Son to die for us. God, God the Father sent His Son. God the Son sent His Spirit to live in us. When we are regenerated, when we trust Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. And this means, as Peter describes it, we are partakers of His divine nature. His very nature lives in these bodies. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which you have of God? You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. And that... Holy Spirit of God dwells within you. The law could never give a person God's nature within. The law couldn't do that. All it could do was show us our desperate need in God's perfect nature. When we as sinners receive God's gift of salvation through Christ, we receive the, the Holy Spirit within. And the Spirit tells us, assures us, that we are the child of God, His Spirit bearing witness with our spirit. I ask you this morning, do you have the witness of the Holy Spirit within that you are indeed a child of God? Oh, I would tell you, if you do not have that witness, you should have it. There's reasons why you do not have it. Either you've not been properly taught, or there's sin that's been unconfessed and not dealt with as a child. But there's a reason for that. The Holy Spirit of God bears witness with those who are born again that they are the children of God. And so, there's one or two things. You've never received Christ as Lord and Savior. You've not been regenerated by the Holy Spirit because when the Holy Spirit does a work, you'll know it. And the same Holy Spirit that convicts you that you are a sinner will be grieved over sin in your life that you don't deal with. Some suffer a lifetime of unhappiness, of grief, being bowed down because of rebellion and disobedience. 
And they do not have the witness of the Holy Spirit, the, the full flowing witness of being a child of God. They're not fruitful like they ought to be. Jesus Christ, what did he say? I've come that they might have life and what? More abundantly. This is, should be the, the birthright and the privilege and the experience of every child of God. Now, let me be very clear here. That assurance is not based on you feeling uh, tingly or feeling good or always being uh, exuberantly happy, although happiness and joy are, are byproducts of the Holy Spirit. I'm just pointing out, if the Holy Spirit is not bearing witness that you're a child of God, there's a problem somewhere. And it could be that you've never been regenerated by the Spirit of God for him in receiving Christ as Savior, because when you do that, He comes and dwells you. But I want you to know the Spirit's work is to convict and to convince and to show us our sin, and to show us the Savior. He will continue in that convicting work and bringing us to a place of conviction and repentance after conversion, just like He did before conversion. But when the fullness of the time was come, when was it exactly on God's calendar? Aren't you glad that God is the exact God? And he knew exactly when to send the Son of God into the world. I, and with great anticipation, say this morning, even so, come Lord Jesus. Now, I'll not hasten him by begging him to come, but I long for him to come. But I can tell you this, on all the authority of God's word, I can tell you when Jesus Christ will come back. You know me in my preaching that when I tell you, if somebody says that to run the opposite direction, if somebody can tell you they know exactly the hour, when Jesus Christ will come back, they're a false prophet. And here I am telling you, I know exactly when Jesus Christ will come back. I know this much. In the fullness of time, the Son of God will come back. Can you say amen to that? All the demons of hell will not prevent him. All the governments on earth voting on something or passing some proclamation will not prevent the Lord Jesus Christ from coming and purchasing he's already purchased coming to take his bride to heaven and then coming back again to set up the eternal kingdom oh these things are real the old testament believer look forward to these things coming to pass we look back back on the completed work of jesus christ but we have a lot to look forward to don't we as well the coming of our lord to snatch us to seize us away and to take us to heaven his coming to earth one day to rule and reign a thousand years and then throughout the endless day. He came in the fullness of time. God was come. God sent forth his son. That's who came, the very son of God. Aren't you glad he didn't send Gabriel or Michael? What could they do? They're not God. They don't have divine nature. If Gabriel had been nailed to a cross, what would it have been? It would have been an angel who died. A marvelous and mysterious thing, but it could not have purchased our salvation. He had to be born. He had to be sent forth, his son made of woman, made under the law to redeem us. Oh, what a price our salvation costs. The infinite price of the worth of the Son of God. How could you put a worth on Jesus Christ? What kind of price tag? Could you put on Calvary? If you had to put a, a price tag on the cross of Jesus Christ, how much money would it be? How many kingdoms would it take? 
How much real estate would it take? How many diamonds and jewels and, and gold could you amass that would, would pay the price? Earth could not afford one drop of the sinless blood of the Son of God. Thanks be to God for this unspeakable gift. It is unspeakable that with all of our effort, we cannot describe this glorious gift. But we extend it to you on the authority of Jesus Christ and ask you to receive it. All you can do with a gift is one or two things. You can receive it or you can reject it. Do you know that God has a remedy for all sin? He has a remedy for murder. I believe the Apostle Paul was guilty of murder. David was guilty of adultery. We could go down through the, 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 the people of the Bible. And God has a remedy for anything that man can do except the rejection of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no remedy for that. Nothing that could suffice for refusing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is this, that God has come to earth in a human body, satisfying all the demands of a thrice holy God and paying into the highest payment every bit of the debt we owe to him. Died in our place. He laid down his life. It was not taken from him. He laid it down. He took it up again on the third day. He arose and then ascended and lives on high, making intercession for us. And I ask you this morning... What have you done with this knowledge that you now have of Jesus, the Son of God? It ought to bring you to repentance. It ought to bring you to your knees and say, Oh Lord, I'm so unworthy of such a gift. My sin costs that much. Sometimes people forget and leave the price tags on things. That may be embarrassing. But I want you to know that the price of our gift of salvation is eternally on display. For us ever to behold, behold his hands and feet, his wounded side. Forever we will behold the wounds that purchased this, the great price that purchased our salvation. When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son. Can you see that moment in your mind's eye when the, the gates of heaven were opened and God the son arose from his glorious throne. Isaiah saw him high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. God the Son vacated his throne and came down through time and allowed himself to be implanted in a young lady's body. Holy, mysterious miracle fullness of time, Mary brought forth her son and laid him in a manger. The creator was now the helpless child in a mother's arms, raised by earthly human parents, fulfilling all the ceremonial and the demands of the law, living a sinless life. Go see him as he goes to John to be baptized and the father speaking. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Follow him as he begins his ministry, opens the blinded eyes and makes the lame to walk and raises the dead. And we follow him as this folks sang this morning to Gethsemane and see him sweat 
under the pressure, the weight of your sin and my sin bore upon the Son of God until His sweat became like drops of blood. They're agonizing, taking to the very last drop the bitter cup of becoming sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He drank the full cup, every drop of it, even to the point of God the Father turning from His Son when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It is because the darling of heaven who had never sinned bore the full weight of the wrath of God in our sin. We're talking about the worth of Jesus Christ. Do you know that the condemnation for sin is to die eternally? To be cut off from God eternally in hell? One would think that, humanly speaking, that Jesus Christ then would have had to die eternally wouldn't you think humanly speaking if he was the exchange for our payment oh but you underestimate the extreme worth of the one hanging on the cross in those hours on the cross he was so perfect he fulfilled all the righteous wrath of god that it will take eternity for us to fulfill and we would never fulfill it oh how costly Silver and gold has not purchased our redemption, but is by the blood of the sinless Son of God to redeem, to, to buy back, to pay for them that were under the law that we might receive full-grown adoption as full-grown sons. A person saved this morning, if you open your heart to Jesus Christ and die, Immediately be taken. A hundred year old person who receives Christ as Savior this morning. Will receive eternal salvation. Just like one who had lived a hundred years before they went into heaven. We all receive that full son's adoption as the very children of God. And beloved, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But when he appears. When he appears, we shall be like him. Would you bow for prayer? Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we marvel at your mercy and grace. We marvel at the, the ancient story that is eternally true. That Jesus Christ took on our sin. Came in the fullness of time. He came the Son of God. Became the Son of, was the Son of God. And that's who came. And that you came made of a woman. Made under the law, to redeem us and make us sons, adopted sons. Oh Lord, we praise you for your mercy and grace. We thank you for this glorious message. I pray that if there are any of the sound of my voice who have not received this message, not received this glorious truth, they would open their hearts just now, as your Spirit has already done that, shown them their need of the Savior. Oh, you said to as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to as many as believed on his name. Lord, we marvel at it. We pray that by your spirit, you would enable those to believe and receive this message. Now, I just ask you this, this morning, in the stillness of this hour, have you really and truly received this great gift of salvation? If not, why not? Why not receive Christ just now? Tell Him your need. 
Oh, tell the Savior your need of being saved. Does the Spirit bear witness that you're the child of God? Oh, tell Him your need of salvation. And go to Him by faith just now and receive this unspeakable gift. Lord, we pray that you would have your will and way in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.